Okay, Alex, you're there. I see you're muted. Um, yes, I am muted. Um, can you see my picture in your little gallery? All, all I see is the living Catholic icon. Okay, then let me... How about now? You see my little picture? There you are. There's Alex. All right. So I'll, I, will, I will wave you the countdown and then I'll mute myself. That way none of my extraneous noises here go through to the broadcast. Okay. Um, and then you, you both will be able to see me, uh, but nobody else will. So. Okay. Good, good, good. Okay, we got about two minutes. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yeah, please, Dave. Alex, you're going to count us down, right? Yes, I am. Okay. Alex, maybe one of these days you can write us some theme music. I'm working on it. Thank you. Sister Gabby, you ever heard Alex play music? Yes, once. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. I keep wanting him to make an album. Yeah, he Hold on. We have some... We're going to buy yeah. records. We have I some think. problems. Uh oh, we got a problem. What's our problem? There we go.
Whenever you're ready, David. Okay. All righty. Shall I show? start? Yes. Okay. Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly webcast from the Diocese of Birmingham in which we engage with Catholic leaders to explore how we can live out our life in Christ faithfully and with joy. I'm Dr. David Anders, Director of the Office of Education and Lifelong Formation. Today I'm speaking with Sister Gabby Ramirez. Sister Gabby is the director of La Casita, a Catholic social service agency whose mission is to meet the social and sacramental needs of God's people in the Diocese of Birmingham. Sister belongs to the community of Guadalupana sisters. Inspired by Our Lady of Guadalupe, the missionary Guadalupanas of the Holy Spirit have a charism of peace, accompaniment, solidarity, and compassion towards the poorer people, especially the indigenous migrants and the marginalized. In Birmingham, this translates into a special care for the Hispanic community. However, they also seek to be a multicultural ministry, something we hope to talk about today, a safe and welcoming environment for people of diverse culture to meet, obtain information, and receive available services. Sister Gabby's also recently been named the Director of Emergency Services for the Diocese of Birmingham. Sister Gabby, welcome to Living Catholic. Thank you very much for your invitation. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming. So, Sister, there are so many things I want to talk to you about today. The Ministry of La Casita, Multicultural Ministry, our Bishop's Call for a Year of the Parish and the Eucharist. But first, could you please tell us something about yourself, maybe something about your vocation to religious life and how you came to Birmingham? Well, I'm originally from Mexico. Yep. Uh, my family lives in San Luis Potosí, Mexico. It's in the center part of Mexico. And I entered when I, when I was 19 uh, to the, my congregation, the Guadalupana Sisters. And because they are missionaries, there was always a passion in my heart to be a missionary and to belong to God. And when I knew that one of our sisters were doing ministry in my parish, I thought, oh my God, I want everybody to know the, the, that true happiness is in knowing how much God loves us. So I thought, I can dedicate my life to let the people know how much God loves us. And when I start following the congregation, knowing their mission, and yes, I found my passion there, especially when I experienced the true love of God. Uh -huh. was my true happiness and still is my true happiness. I, I can't think of a better motive for a religious vocation than the, the personal experience of the love of God and the desire to share that God with other people. That's amazing. So you entered the Guadalupana Sisters when you were 19. Through, really, it was their witness in your own parish, right? They were present in your parish, and that's how you found that congregation. And uh, so you had a period of formation, and then uh, what happened next? Well, after I finished my formation, six years of basic formation in Mexico, my congregation sent me to the U.S. to do a missionary work. My first mission was in Miami. Okay. <laughs> then in Bay Clay, Florida for two years. And after that, they sent me to Los Angeles. I was there for seven years doing ministry work, but also I was the director of vocations there. And for, for, your, for your community? For my community, yes. Okay, community. okay, okay. And then they sent me... <laughs> Mississippi, I was there for seven years. 
And after that, they sent me to Alabama. I have been here 11 years and I am very happy here. I have been tasting the South part of the US and I love it. Uh -huh. So, so you've been you've been in Mexico, you've been in Miami, you've been in LA, you've been in Mississippi, you've been in Alabama. These are very different communities, oh, right? Very different. And you know, I read some of your vocation story online at the website of the Guadalupana Sisters, and you said in in your vocation story that you were working mostly with Hispanic people in Miami, but that was a very, very diverse community in Miami, even of Hispanics, right? Mm -hmm. So multicultural ministry has been part of your vocation from the very beginning. My whole, yes, all my ministry. Wow, wow. Okay, so tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, about the ministry of La Casita and what you're doing in Birmingham now. Well, <laughs> I was the director of La Casita for 10 years. Okay. Um, and I enjoy it very much. I learned a lot, um, especially since I arrived to Alabama, I realized that the Hispanic uh, population was growing a lot and it was unattended. So we thought, well, we need to know where they live, how they live, they survive because they work in construction, cleaning, houses, uh, in restaurants, um, chicken plants, and most of them, they sell food. Uh, yeah, they, women cleaning houses, in, in cleaning hotels, in restaurants, and taking care of children or elder people. So they find their way to find a job with dignity. And for us, we talk, well, we are trying to help them in providing social services. They're at La Casita paying their bills, the rent, their utilities bills. But also we talk, it's not enough just to teach them, to, to give them a fish. We need to teach them how to fish. So we started an immigration program, uh, helping them to um, regularize their documentation if they were able to do that, or providing legal advices to defend their rights. And also we create an education program, which is, we call it Plaza Comunitaria, where they can finish their education here because most of them came here to the US to work very young. So they didn't have the chance to finish their education in their countries of origin. So we talked with the Mexican consulate in Atlanta, working with them as a team and with uh, the uh, uh, Office of Education in Mexico. We organized this program, which is Plaza Comentaria, and this program is in the whole U US. Um, and at the end of their classes, they can have an official certificate that they finished their education here in the US. So in case that they go back to their countries, they already have the proper documentation to find a job over there because they already accomplished their education here. And it's a great way to promote the human dignity. And we can see how they are increasing their self-esteem 
by accomplishing their education here in this country in Spanish. Um, you know, you, you said so much just then, and I'm trying to pick it all apart and get the different elements. Uh, the first thing that you said that really grabbed my attention was uh, that you have a desire to go find these people, right? Because, and they're, they may be difficult to locate because it's a very scattered and community and, and, and they're in the highways and the byways. You know, Pope Francis talks about going to the peripheries and looking for people that are being missed by the church's pastoral outreach. It sounds like that you are doing that. I mean, that's, that's a major part of your, of your mission. How do you go about doing that? How do you go looking for people who might otherwise be falling through the cracks? Well, Hispanic people usually communicate uh, through Facebook, mm -hmm. <laughs> through WhatsApp. So okay. we start announcing uh, that we for them and interviewing them, uh, we found where they live and we pass the word, we spread the word, we visit them in the trailer parks, we direct a survey uh, asking them which one were their needs, their main needs, which were immigration, education, English as a second language. We are providing that too in, that, in our place. So social media communication is a major avenue for how, you are, how you're in touch with this community. And and so are you you must have people on staff or volunteers who spend a lot of time going through social media trying to be a presence and and communicate. And if you find somebody, you and the sisters and volunteers, you're actually going out to their homes, their communities, their place of employment. Yes. And also we have a lot of volunteers. They can be a blessing in our team because our staff is just five women in our staff at La Casita. And now that I am serving in emergency services. We are just two in the staff, uh, myself and my assistant. So we are working with volunteers to be able to, to visit the families and to approach them. And we are creating a rapid response team with uh, volunteers from each parish to be in touch with all the Hispanic population because in each region, they live in different areas. So we need to locate where the trailers parks are, where they mobile homes. Most of mm -hmm. many of them live in mobile homes, but usually they are congregating one in some areas. So we need to locate them. Uh, that's why we need a lot of volunteers from different regions. Yes. Okay, so um, it sounds like some of the volunteers you have have to be people with significant expertise, particularly when you're talking about the legal work that you're doing. Well, yes, we, and the person who is in charge of that program is Lady Hillhouse. She was trained. She, we, we were accredited by, by the Board of Immigration Appeal, by the government to have our agency. And she's in charge of that. and. Yeah, she has some volunteers helping her, but she's the main one who take care of the details because paperwork, to fill it, fill it up that paperwork is very tedious. We need to be very careful with those documentations. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, as I was listening to you talk, the, the term that came to my mind from 
uh, Paul VI, Pope Paul VI, is the notion of integral human development, mm -hmm. right? You know, the idea of, of, of trying to reach the entire person, body, soul, mind, uh, meet every all of their human needs, which are which are integral, right, to their to their human identity and their Catholic identity. So, uh, how how do you reach out to the these to, uh, to immigrant migrant people um, also in their spiritual needs? Yeah. Okay. Very good. It's what we call uh, integral evangelization. Right. We are. Uh -huh. We are teaching them uh, how to read because some people, they don't even know how to read, how to write. Uh -huh. But also we are touching their hand, teaching them how to write their name. But, and by doing this, we are showing them the love of God. Yeah, that's right. We don't need to use words. We are talking about God without mentioning God's name, yes. just with gestures. And for me, it's the best way right now yes to evangelize sure uh -huh. sure or they, yeah they need to know that god loves them and they attend to mass and they pray the rosary or they yeah i know they love to visit the blessed sacrament mm -hmm. but also they need some bread at their table so if we provide some bread for them it's another way to show them the God that, that you worship there over there is now here giving you something to eat. Because you deserve that too. So tell us a little bit about your work with emergency services. Oh, it's another adventure. Everything has been new for me. I, I was dealing with emergencies, but from a distance, I was not in charge directly. Yeah. And now I am learning doing that because we already have four tornadoes and one flooding. And I have been accompanying the people, not just providing them some financial assistance, but just accompany them, listening to them. They experience a trauma now after the, the tornadoes. Now, every time that they it's raining, they are afraid. So they need some accompaniment too. Uh, but what I realized, sadly, <laughs> is that the IMA or the Red Cross or United Way immediately attend to the Anglo people because they speak language, they know the system, the US right. system, and they immediately know to whom they need to call. It's not the same with the Hispanic people. First, because they don't speak the language. The second is because Red Cross and EMA, emergency services, they don't know from Jefferson County, for instance, they don't know even where the Hispanic people live. So we have been the bridge between them and the Hispanic population. So I can see the need uh, to be present, to know where they are and to be the, their voice. Because if we know, if we are not making them visible, nobody's gonna help them. Even Matt Carrier, who is the, the director of IMA, Emergency Services in the Jefferson County, he told me, if you don't speak up for the Hispanic population, nobody's gonna help them. You need to be there with them and you need to, to let us know how we can help them. So I guess uh -huh, 
the most vulnerable now in emergencies too are the Hispanic population. And we have people from many places and it's not just from Mexico, a lot of, I, a lot of people from Guatemala, mm-hmm. from Salvador, um, from Honduras, but mainly I guess um, Guatemala, Mexican and El Salvador people. And we even talk, we have been taking the bishop to visit those, um, those families who were affected mm-hmm. of the tornadoes and they were um, very welcoming with the bishop. They were experiencing that they were blessed with the presence of the bishop because they, they thought, oh, now we can see that we are important because someone important came to visit us. Beautiful. Yes, yeah, so beautiful. And they offer food. They were suffering, but they even offer food and for the bishop to, to welcome him. Yes. Yeah, and, and it was for me also a beautiful um, testimony from the bishop because he was very humble, very close, close to them. He blessed them. He approached them. He ate their food. And for them, it was a very humble presence uh, of, yeah, they experienced the mercy of God among them. So let, let's pivot now a little bit to the, the outreach of the parish. And, you know, our bishop has called us this year to a year of the parish. And the Pope, who is clearly your ministry is foremost in his mind. That's obvious. The careful, the migrant, the, the the marginalized, those on the periphery. But he's also called us not to neglect the ministry of the parish in meeting these human needs. So in, in your view, how are we doing in the Diocese of Birmingham as a community of parishes to 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 express this ministry? And, and what could we do as parishes to do a better job? Okay. We... We are receiving some donations, food donations from parishes like, well, from Prince of Peace. We receive food for our, yeah, to share those with Those are main things that you can do Parish at a parish level. We can get volunteers from parishes mm-hmm. to have um, food or, especially right now, I was thinking for emergency services, we can, receive uh, probably a parish level they can organize uh, to provide uh, emergency kits for the victims of the tornadoes with soap uh, little things that we can provide for a victim of the tornado who is yeah some of them they lost everything they don't have even a toothbrush so so if we have emergency kits if a parish can donate that for us, that will be a great blessing for us because it is very hard in, in case of emergency start getting things together to donate to the people. If we have a kid uh, just prepare for the victims, it will be a blessing. Those little details that a parish can organize will be great for us. You know, the, the Holy See published a document this year on renewing parish life renewal of the parish. And the, the, the issue of changing demographics, uh, migration, uh, different cultures and civilizations coming into 
conversation is a big part of the focus of that document. It's changed the way parish life is conceived and pastoral ministry is exercised. And thinking about our interview today, I went back to that text and I found this sentence and it jumped out to me. Ecclesial membership, parish membership in our present age is less a question of birthplace, much less about where someone grew up, as it is about being part of a community by adoption with everyone working for the common good. And that strikes me as highly relevant to what we're talking about and the need for parishes to consciously adopt those whose country of origin or language of origin may be different and, and consciously integrate them into a diocese and a parish life by adoption, right? Um, which, uh, which makes me ask, so, you know, there are obvious barriers Yes. to making that effective okay um but but everyone uh seeks to gain by that mutual enrichment so and i i know that you have a lot of thoughts about what multicultural ministry should look like about what a multicultural parish ought to look like about how that can be an expression of mutual enrichment i wonder if you could share some thoughts about that yes thank you i guess it Every, well, everybody experiences fears of the differences. I am afraid when I start speaking in English that the, the other person is not gonna understand me because I have my own accent. And I guess the other person is afraid that I cannot understand them in your own language. So if we... Mm, are aware of that fear and put aside our fear and start talking like, like, like right now we are doing that. It's, it's just the best way to start approaching and to put aside our differences just in language. And, and I, I can experience also, and all of us, uh, Hispanic people are very sensitive. Uh, we can feel when somebody welcome us, even though that they don't speak our language. Uh, because so you can speak the language of the heart and, and you can smile, you can make us feel welcome. And sometimes at the parish level, since we have the, usually we have the English mass and then immediately after that, the the Spanish mass is coming. So I noticed when the Anglo community is leaving the church and the Hispanic people is arriving, we don't need to, to talk, but just a, a smile, a, just to wave, just to say welcome. That's it, because we are from the, we belong to the same family. This is our parish. We don't have the mass together. We don't worship together, but we are all children of God. It doesn't matter if we don't speak the same language and it doesn't matter if, yeah, if we have different- You know, you, you, you reminded me of a story when uh, years ago I lived in Iowa and and my wife and I attended a church that was predominantly Korean. And the pastor was Korean and most of the congregation was Korean. Why we why we're there is a long story I won't get into, right? Mm -hmm. 
And the services were in Korean and we don't speak Korean. We did have some translation and we were there a little bit more than a year. And we had a lot of friends, um, uh, some of whom spoke English and some of whom did not. And I remember there was one young woman, it was a peer of my wife and they had small children the same age and they, they did not have one word in common. They could not say anything to one another. And yet they became dear friends. And we would we would meet in the church and and they would literally rush to one another with open arms. They would hug they would hug each other's babies. They would exchange food, you know, and they would just sort of look at one another with care and concern and with compassion. And each of them had a strong desire to communicate, you know, and it was a barrier. They couldn't. And I, I think, you know, she went back to Korea, I believe. One of these days we're going to all meet in heaven, I hope. And they're going to rush into each other's arms and say, now we can talk. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Yes. And that is the language of the heart. And That's everybody right. can speak that language. That's we, right. We want to do it. Um, so let me tell you, sometimes some people are asking me why some Hispanic peoples are leaving the Catholic Church. They are, they are attending. Yeah, they go to other denominations too. And I told them, because they don't feel welcome within the Catholic Church, or because we are not providing the social services that they need, and other denominations are doing that. So we need to be careful also to, to our, if we want to keep them in, as Catholic, because, because most of the Hispanic people were baptized Catholic. Yes. When they arrived here in the US is when they change, but it's because of that, because if we are not welcoming them, if we are not, we, are not providing the social services that they need and the others denominations are doing that they're gonna go there and well you know this is a problem not just for hispanic catholics but for anglo catholics as well yes. you know we okay. have english-speaking catholics leaving the church because they don't feel welcome yeah. and uh uh you know it's an it's a difficult promise a deep problem that's one we have to address yeah. um so you know the holy see has said that as we think about renewing parish ministry we should we should keep in mind that that uh, we can enhance our mutual communion with one another by synthesizing, bringing together the different charism and vocations that exist in different cultural communities, right? And and that's a that's a deeper level of engagement than the kind of friendliness that we're talking about. This is a this is a an openness and appreciation that other communities, other cultures have charisms and vocations that we ourselves may lack and and that pastoral ministry in the parish should be sensitive to that and everybody in the catholic church is to cultivate a personal vocation and put it at the service of the universal church so in their local community and their local parish so maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you think what are those charisms that the hispanic community can bring to the parish in the united states that could enrich the United States and vice versa. Thank you. I guess uh -huh. the future of the Catholic Church in the U.S. is going to be Hispanic. Uh -huh. Hispanic population is growing. And, you know, Hispanic families are large families. Yeah, that's true. Yes. And some of, uh -huh, for me, the main gift that the Hispanic population is giving to the church is their faith their family values, their, um, 
the sense of belonging among themselves and to the parish, when they experience that they belong to the parish, they start selling food, they start building, probably they don't have enough money to register and to give a donation every Sunday, but they work hard, they are very hard workers. So they can sell food, they can do the yard in, at the parish level, they can help in the activities of the parish. And, and also they have a strong roots and strong traditions that they can share those gifts with the community, uh, our roots, our food, our culture, our tradition, the way that we enjoy life is we enjoy relationships. Uh, time is relative for us. That's why sometimes we are arrive late <laughs> for <laughs> because we take care of relationships. So if, if we are in a, attending a relationship, uh, it's, it's, it's rude for us just to let someone Uh, it's rude to just to cut with someone the conversation because we, I need to run to the other one. So it's it's a way to yeah we need to learn that from you to organize time. <laughs> but in another way we are more spontaneous and more joyful in that sense that we enjoy relationships. We cannot say that time is money for us. Time is relationship. Uh -huh. Beautiful. Uh -huh. And communion for us the way that we understand communion. It's not that we need to do everything together. I'm thinking in a parish level. We don't need to be worship, worshiping God together. Uh, is that no, it doesn't mean to be together and to do things at the same time, but to have a common purpose, a common intention, which is to love God and to seek the common good. And probably we don't, we cannot worship every Sunday together, but probably for Pentecost or for Christmas, we can have something bilingual. We can have, we can share our meals. We can talk about our fears or for, for our differences. And we can, we can have a, a conversation about that, which, which are your gifts in your culture, in the tradition. Tell me, tell me something, tell me something, some dances or, a tradition that is a value in your country in your country for instance family values are very important for us share something about that and also, so have you seen some some gatherings like that in the diocese of birmingham since you've been here not yet i wish we can have that i saw that in los angeles which is a multicultural place and yet we we were creating we call it building multicultural um, communities, uh -huh. inclusive communities. And was that, was that organized at the parish level or at the diocesan level? It was at the diocesan level, building inclusive communities. Mm -hmm. And there are, uh -huh. there are, there is a lot of material about that. Uh, and yeah, it's, it could be applied in, in a parish level too, where we got together people from different cultures and we can start sharing our fears, but also our gifts, our talents, 
And yeah, we, we start organizing activities together. And for me, the best way to, to start building those inclusive communities is through social services, because to provide a, and I realized that in emergency cases, we don't need to speak the language. We just need to, to donate, to help without words. We, we, we just organize an activity together. It doesn't matter your culture, your religion, your gender, your status. Sure. Doing something together to help others is the best way, the best way for me to start building inclusive communities. So uh, have you got some concrete suggestions for people who might be listening to this podcast, how as individuals or parishes, they could begin to take those action steps in their life right now? Uh, well, at the parish level, I guess, uh, we need someone uh, to start inviting to, to people. It, it doesn't need to be a big group, but people from different cultures, just to have a conversation, to share the gifts of our culture and to share our fears and to, to organize an activity. How can we be more inclusive from each, between us and, and how can we do something to let the people know that here we are, that we are sharing different gifts that we need to, yeah, to acknowledge and to appreciate our differences and to enrich. How can we enrich from each other? So I guess, at the Paris level, especially where you have bilingual activities, it would be great. At the beginning, when I start serving at La Casita, I start a social services group community at the parish level, one in a Prince of Peace mm -hmm. and one in the Sacred Heart in Kuhlman. Mm -hmm. And in the team, I had people from the Hispanic community and people for the Anglo community. And we sit together and we start talking about the needs that we found for, uh, for um, among us. Uh, and the Hispanic people share their experiences. Mm, we organize, a, well, we had an analysis of the reality to see the needs, but also uh, how, how the Anglo community saw the Hispanic people there as mm -hmm. part of the parish and how the Hispanic people feel welcome um, from the Anglo community and how can they, how, how can we build a bridge between them in order to start doing something? And through social services, we were able to to work together. And then the Hispanic people were telling them, well, we need to learn more English. So among the Anglo community, they organize themselves and they provide uh, English classes as a second language at a parish level. So the volunteers start teaching English to the Hispanic people to, to be able to communicate between themselves. So, mm. And they, they took the initiative, but just by talking, 
And then we organized a food festival, uh, sharing, um, selling. It was a fundraising, but the main purpose was to share the different kind of food uh, among the Hispanic people because they are from different regions. So it was a, a way also to get together and to share our food tradition and music. We provide music. It was a party. It was beautiful. And, and also in and Kuhlman, it was very interesting. Even we were uh, in separate tables because the Hispanic people start talking in Spanish. The conversation was in Spanish and the Anglo community in English in their other tables. Mm -hmm. And we can see the difference. The Hispanic people start very noisy and, and I asked them to draw something, the map of the reality and things. And they were very funny and things like that, spontaneous. But the Anglo community, they were very serious, very focused, very well organized, great ideas. And when we put them together, we saw, wow, how can we, when we put things together, we can enrich each other and we can spread our mind, our vision, and we can learn from each other. Just and we saw the differences and and, and yeah, it's, it's part of the acceptance that we are different, but we can work together and we can yeah, like each other and, and we can have a common purpose. And, That's and beautiful. We are one family. So, so, so one, one last question is a little bit change of topic, but I know that it, the, the ministry of uh, Guadalupe Sisters in your own parish, of course, was very important to your vocation. You served as vocation director for your community in Los Angeles. Uh, how do you feel about the, the, the status of vocations to your community now worldwide? And, and um, uh, do you continue to see vocations, new vocations to the Guadalupe Sisters? No, as before, it's very sad, but since there are many options, and I, and I believe it's a crisis in yeah. the whole church. Uh -huh. Now women have a lot of options, and I guess Leiti is doing a great job. I, 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 I guess, I believe that it's the signs of the time too. Mm -hmm. It's the time of young people to go for it, and now we are we are receiving their support. Before we were leaving people, but now it's, they are leaving. We are following them and, and sure. we to work sure. together. Yes, but, and, and it's okay with me. I understand that. Those are the signs of the time. Well, you know, you spoke about the options that there are so many more options that people have in life today. And so I know we in Diocese Birmingham are thankful that you took the option that you took the option for religious life and that you took the preferential option for the poor that the church says is such an important part of our vocation. So there's Catholics. So Sister Gabby, I just really want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, your ministry is beautiful. Uh, your, your joy and your smile and your obvious love for what you're doing, the people that you're serving is beautiful. And we are blessed to have you. So thank you so much for what you're doing and thank you for being with us today. Um, so uh, please join us next time um, uh, for Living Catholic. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with Marie Jose Bonilla, Director of Hispanic Ministries, about the work of this office in the year of the parish in the Eucharist and how we can share ideas 
for cross-cultural celebrations like the ones we were talking about today. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe to us on YouTube or using your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or a review. And finally, please recommend us to friends and family. We'd love to continue speaking with you in this special year focused on encountering Christ in our parish and in the Eucharist. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sister. God bless you. Take care. Keep doing your great job. You Thank too. You. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just waiting on Alex here. Okay. They can't hear you on the live stream, so you can go ahead and talk. Okay. Alrighty. Well, okay. So we're 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 done with our recording, and Alex is just gonna clean us up and shut us down. I really enjoyed that. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. So thank you. Um, we can continue this conversation absolutely well you kind of gave me you know one idea your your um how did you say it your your um uh uh the the diocesan organized events on on intercultural ministry and and mutual understanding i forgot how you define them but um yeah sure and you also i mean this is not my department but when you talked about having having a contact person in the parishes that would invite uh, cultural exchange, right? Um, uh, you know, that, that's, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard, I mean, we all, we're always thinking about who do we have in parishes, right? Who, who are the contact people we have from diocesan offices and parishes that correspond to our ministry? And I don't know that I've heard that we've had on our radar, you know, having a person whose, whose specific competence in the parish was encouraging intercultural exchange. That's a good idea. We need to continue the conversation about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How are we doing, Alex? We're good. You're all set. Okay, fantastic. All right, well, I'll log off. Yeah. Sister, thanks again. We really appreciate it. Yes, all thank right. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Alex. Thank Bye. you, sister. Bye.